0: Welcome to the TriStar Church podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in.
1: Well, good morning, TriStar. It is such an honor to be with you this morning and to bring the word. My name is Tanner. I'm one of the pastors here. If I've not met you yet, I would love to meet you after service in the lobby. Uh, before we, we get into uh, the sermon this morning, I think it's only right to address uh, uh, recent events that have happened in our nation. Uh, over the past weekend, there have been several uh, tragedies and acts of violence across the entirety of our nation, including Highland Park. And so if, if it's all right with you guys, I would love, uh, together as a church, if we would take a moment of silence and we would pray together uh, for the tragedies that have occurred Heavenly Father, we come this morning to lament, to mourn. Our nation is filled with grief at what has happened and what is happening. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of, of these evil actions, that we would not shy away from your spirit, that we would not shy away from who you are, but instead we would lean back into a glorious father. Father we would lean back into your heart for your people, that we would discover your grace and mercy even in the midst of these dark times. Lord, we come humbly to say that you are the creator of the universe, you are sovereign in every way. we humbly follow you, we lean into you, we search for your heart in the midst of all of this, and Lord, I pray that the church would rise up to bring goodness and mercy and light into a world that is stricken with sin and darkness. Thank you, Father. Amen. These tragic events that occurred show us that we live in a sinful and fallen world. And these events don't uncover a secret darkness that has been lingering, but instead it reveals the innate sinful nature of the world that we live in. A world in need of light. And today we're going to look at several stories in the life of King David as we continue in this series, In Search of a King, and we see what happens when sinful people are left to their own accord. And brothers and sisters, I implore you this morning that we do not just approach what this is as just a weekly thing that we go to to be a good Christian, that this isn't just another sermon, that this isn't just a part of what we do as as Christians, but instead uh, I pray that we would fervently follow the Holy Spirit as he leads us and he guides us. I pray that the Spirit would would spring forth wisdom and motivation at the inspired word of God to lead us to bring lightness into this world. It's kind of funny, I I, I talked to Matt yesterday and I've never wrestled with a sermon so much. I I think I'm on like iteration number 18 at this point. because as we go through these stories in King David's life, there's so much in there and and I I, I had so much that I wanted to say and it actually all came to a head uh, on Friday evening where the Lord finally just revealed to me, hey here's here's the one thing that you have to say and everything else can can fall away. And so this morning I'm going to kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit early and instead of going through the scriptures and It it all coming to this climactic point that hopefully was full of wisdom and and cleverness and said, I'm just going to give it to you right now. This is what I think this morning is all about. And it's this truth that Christians must actively work against sin and unrighteousness. We'll go through four stories that show us why this is what we are uncovering through the scriptures. But some of you in the room might be like, well, duh, like that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. You know, like Tanner, it's pretty simple. Or you might be in the room this morning and find yourself on the other side of it and see the words on the screen and think it's this ethereal lofty thing that doesn't really have a way to be accomplished. And I'll be honest, Actively working against sin and unrighteousness is as simple as it is complex. How do you fight unrighteousness? With righteousness. How do you fight evil? With good. And it's complex because now we start spinning in our minds and our opinions and our desires into what righteousness is and what goodness is. And so I, I wanted to give you a simple mantra that I heard a couple of years back that really uh, spoke to me and, and, and it gave clarity to a very confused young man that didn't really understand what walking into maturity was like, didn't really understand what walking into vocational ministry was about. And I heard this mantra and it started to give clarity and started to uh, guide my feet And it's this, it's starve the flesh and feed the spirit. I started to speak this over myself every single day. Uh, We'll go over this in a little bit, but Genesis 3 is the story of Adam and Eve falling from grace and eating the fruit of the tree of life, a direct sin against God. And because of that sin, The lineage of Adam and Eve, which is all of us in this room, is now born into fleshly, sinful nature. And then we read decades and decades later of King Jesus who comes in and sacrifices himself, like Matt talked about during communion. And as he says, it is finished, the veil is torn from top to bottom and we have complete access to God And he sacrifices himself saying, it is good that I go so that my helper, the Holy Spirit, can come. Because just as much as we are fleshly beings, that we're born with skin and and sinful desires, we also have a spirit. And we have a guide in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit that guides us towards righteousness and goodness, that guides us in love and mercy and grace. And so one man cannot serve two masters. And so if you starve the flesh, you're feeding your spirit. And if you starve the spirit, you're feeding your flesh. And so that mantra started to to reign over me day after day. And I was realizing what master I was serving that day based on what I was feeding. Was I feeding my sinful desires in the flesh? Was I feeding the unrighteousness and sinfulness in me? Or was I chasing after the Holy Spirit? Was I chasing after Galatians 5 where it talks about the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And through these next couple of stories that we go over this morning, we will see greed, pride, lust, sin permeate through the house of David and we will see a need for King Jesus and a need to feed the spirit. If you were here two weeks ago, Matt went over the story of David and Bathsheba, where David finds this beautiful woman bathing on a roof and decides to take her as his own. He lays with her and conceives a child and to sweep it under the rug, he decides to send her husband on the front line of the military, murdering him. Not really a kingly thing to do, Also kind of weird for a man after God's own heart to to do such a sinful thing. And we begin this morning in the fallout of that in 2 Samuel chapter 7 through 15, where God sends the prophet Nathan to rebuke David. So Nathan is speaking the words of God to David saying, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites." Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son." David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Peaced out of that conversation, said. That's what the Lord said. I'm going to go back home. This is God rebuking David saying, have you not walked with me for decades? Have you not walked with me from when I anointed you as a shepherd boy in the pastures? Have I not walked with you all the way to kingship? Have I not given you the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel? Have I not delivered you from your enemy, King Saul? Have I not given you victory over the armies of your enemies? And if this wasn't, if this wasn't enough, I would have added just as much more but it wasn't enough because David's sinful desire won out in the end and because David sinned against God, it says in verse 10 here, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. This is David's punishment and understand that this is a promise of punishment from the Lord. And we should know by now after reading through the scriptures in First and 2 Samuel that the promise of God will come to fruition eventually. I thought this was harsh, and then I read this quote by Matthew Henry. God will not suffer his people to lie still in sin. God shows how much he hates sin even in his own people, and wherever he finds it, he will not let it go unpunished. Verse 13 said, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord and the child who is born to you, the child that he conceived with Bathsheba shall die. David owns his sin. It's at this time that he pins the 51st Psalm titled, Create in Me a Clean Heart. And although he repented here, God's punishment for him will actually be the Lord working in his life to bring him into a deep repentance. And we're reminded that God disciplines those that he loves. God disciplines those he loves because this story is unlike God and Saul, where God abandoned Saul completely because of an unrepentant heart and a, a lack of will to follow God. God does not abandon David, but he stays intimately at work in his life to bring David closer to him, to make sure that that sin will not fester, to make sure that that sin will not grow, to make sure that that sin will not continue. Even though he repented and he was saved from the sword because under the law of Israel, David was an adulterer and a murderer, and he should have been brought to death under the law, but the Lord saved him from that. But the punishment still remained that Bathsheba and David's first son did not make it past a week after birth. And what we'll read in the next few stories is that the sword did stay in the house of David. David. Now, you might find yourself in one of two camps upon hearing of the death of, the, of, of David and Bathsheba's baby and the punishment that is waiting to follow David's life. You might, you might be like me where you think, wow, that's really harsh, God. He said he was sorry. You might wanna lay off, you know, like that's a little too much. You already proved your point. What he did was wrong, but he owned up to it, like he should, you know, be let off. That's where I found myself, and that's where I have to understand the truth that our sins have consequences. The consequences of our actions do not automatically get negated because God forgives us of that sin. We have still committed an action that will cause a domino effect. If David would have immediately repented of his actions of adultery and murder, Bathsheba would still be pregnant, Uriah would still be dead, and a time machine would not magically appear out of nothingness to take him back a week prior to not do what he did. His sins had, act- had actual consequences. If you find yourself on the other side of the camp and think that David should have perished right away and that God should have just smited him down, we have to understand the truth that God's grace actively works in the midst of our sin. Like I had mentioned before in Genesis three, we see Adam and Eve fall from grace and eat from the fruit of the tree of life. The only thing God told them they couldn't do, they did. If we continue in that story, God did not wait for Adam and Eve to repent, to chase after them. After Adam and Eve had sinned, it was the Lord that pursued them. He did not wait for them to say, I'm sorry. He did not wait for them to say, we we have sinned against you and we repent, but instead he pursued them to bring them to repentance. An act of grace in the story and we see the same thing here in David, that he did not wait for David to come and, and learn his lesson, but instead pursued him with grace and mercy to bring him into deep repentance, because like, we, like I said, he loves those who he disciplines. His, his only, or his own child, David, sinned against him greatly, so the father pursued him to bring him to repentance so that sin would not lie and wait and grow and fester into something greater than it ever was, but instead God's grace intervened in the midst of it all. I believe in our world that we've deducted everything to a greater greater entity's fault. Whether it be God or the universe, maybe the federal or state government, the left or right political sphere, the news outlets, another country, etc. We have chalked up most of our issues that we face on local, national, global scales to something greater, when in reality we have to look in the mirror and realize that sin is going to permeate in our life if we do not actively work against it. We will see this theme unfold in the following stories. We come to a story of David's son, Amnon. Amnon was the eldest son of David. We meet one of David's daughters, Tamar. Tamar was the half-sister of Amnon. And just as David had lusted after Bathsheba, so Amnon lusts after his half-sister Tamar. He had become so obsessed with Tamar to the point of physical illness. He had unfulfilled sexual desire for her and finding no way to satisfy it, he took the advice of his cousin Jonadab. So Jonadab and Amnon come up with this grand plan that he would fake an illness and he would... Uh, go to the king and Amnon would tell David that the only way to come, get over his illness is if Tamar would come to his house and would cook for him. David, unaware of Amnon's illicit designs, granted the request and ordered Tamar to go to Amnon's house and prepare the meal. As she finishes the meal, Amnon dismissed all of his personnel so that he would be left alone with Tamar. And when Tamar approached his bed with the food, Amnon attempted to coerce her, to lay with him. Tamar, of course, refused his advances and attempted to reason with him. Trying to reason with him that this was a wicked thing, that he would be made a fool, that she would be taken advantage of trying to to convince him to go to the king so that he could uh, forego the law that said that brother and sister could not marry so that Amnon could have his way with her. She tried to appeal to Amnon time and time again. However, Amnon did not listen to her. He overpowered her and he raped her. Amnon's lust had been satisfied in that one moment. And it says this in verse 15, that after that moment, then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Amnon had had his way, and he had taken Tamar's entire future, her ability to be married, her ability to have a family. And so Tamar goes to her brother's house, her full brother Absalom, to seek refuge. As King David learns about what his son has done, the Bible says that he was very angry but he took no action against it. He actually takes action to sweep it under the rug again to make sure it does not become a public scandal. David sees a sin that he had already repented of, that God had chased after him and disciplined him for in his own son, and yet he takes no action against it. He lets the sin lie in wait. And what happens if you don't actively work against sin as it grows? Because as we continue in the story, Tamar's full brother Absalom grows bitterness and hatred for Amnon. He harbors this bitterness. He harbors this hatred, this anger for two whole years. And for two years, he lies and waits for justice. And he decides that justice will come from his hand. He plans this grand party during the sheep shearing event, which is this grand time of the year where the shepherds get to come, they get to shear their sheep and they get to reap what they have sown by taking care of their flock for the whole year. It's a grand party and Absalom decides that he's gonna throw the feast at his house and he invites King David, the whole court and the whole family. This is his grand plan. He's gonna get everyone in one household. David understands the cost implications that come from throwing this type of feast, so he respectfully declines to not not burden his son. But it says this, that once the king has declined, in chapter 13, verses 26 and 27, then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's son go with him. Notice that David's discernment, a red light is flashing. He questions this. He's like, why do you want Amnon to go with you? Like I said, he knew what Amnon had done to Absalom's sister. He knows the sin that has been committed. But for some reason, this discernment that David had was quieted by the persistence of his son Absalom. So David tries to justify sending Amnon there by just sending all of his sons. Surely nothing can go wrong if I just send all of them. But Absalom conspires with his servants. And when the time was right, his servants struck down Amnon. They murdered him when the time came. And this story shows us two powerful truths about sin. One, bitterness left unchecked will always lead to death. Bitterness will never lead to fruitfulness. It might not always lead to physical death like we read here, but bitterness, if it is not confronted, will lead to death. Maybe the death of a relationship. Maybe the death of your joy. Maybe even the death of your belief. Absalom's bitterness grew. It lingered to the point where he finally committed a sin against his own brother. The second truth we find here is that when sin is not met with righteousness, destruction will follow. David, king of Israel, took no action against his own son, Amnon. We don't know why Could it be that he saw himself in Amnon? Amnon lusted after a woman like David. Amnon let his lust lead to overpowering his sister against her will. Many scholars believe that Bathsheba was also not a willing participant in her interaction with David. And so maybe David just saw himself and couldn't bring himself to reprimand his son. But we can see here that the lack of justice in this matter leads to more evil. Evil on its own accord can never find good. It is only when it is uncovered that evil can be brought to light and brought to goodness. We read in the scriptures that the the Lord can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good but by itself, evil will not just randomly find goodness. Why David took no action against Amnon, we have no idea. We see uh, it's a trend in his life though because Absalom murders his brother and it says that David was very angry and he mourned the loss of his son, but he did not go after Absalom. Absalom actually self-imposes an exile for himself, whether this be out of guilt or whether this be out of trying to save himself because he knew that people might come for him for murdering Amnon. So Absalom is in this self-imposed exile for three years and he comes back to the kingdom of Israel and through one of uh, David's, Uh, servants of the court Joab, he pleads his case to his father after three years of exile. And David allows his son back into the capital, but will not allow him into his court. So Absalom gets to come back into the city, but cannot see his own father. This began a resentment, as Absalom was allowed to live in his father's kingdom, but not see his own father. And for two years, Absalom is sitting and waiting and we see bitterness and anger grow. But Absalom, finally, he goes to Joab again to plead his case to his father. And he says, Joab, go to my father and give him an ultimatum. Either have him put me to death or have him receive me. So Joab relayed this ultimatum to David. And David agreed to receive his son Absalom face to face. In chapter 14, verse 33, this is the only thing we see from the interaction of, his, of King David receiving his son Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king David kissed Absalom. Yet another case where David refuses to meet injustice with justice. David did not know that his decision to not take the law seriously and reprimand his own son would eventually, would lead eventually to Absalom raising an army of his own. Instead of following in God's example in his own life and chasing after his sons and trying to bring them in deep repentance for the sins that they had committed. Instead of punishing them and disciplining them like God had done with him, he does nothing. He sees sin in the life in his own house and yet all he does is have emotional reactions to sinful nature He never chases after his sons. He lets them self-impose exiles. He lets Amnon live in his kingdom for two whole years. He ignores his own discernment. And this is why we see the injustice and the evil grow within his house. After Absalom is received back into the king's court, We can find him at the city gate, waiting for people to come get counsel from King David. And as people come to go to the king to bring their grievances, to ask for help, Absalom actually takes them aside and he begins to scrutinize the king. He begins to undermine his father. He begins to try to garner his own platform in his own nation. all the way to the point where he raises up his own army. And so Absalom takes his army to overthrow King David and take the throne of Israel for himself. David realizing this, he says the throne was given to me, it is not mine to fight over. And he flees, he leaves the kingdom But his one request to his army is, if you see Absalom, do not kill him. It's actually Joab that catches Absalom stuck in a tree. Absalom had beautiful long hair that he only cut once a year. It was a thing that showed great beauty within him. He was well known for it in the kingdom and it was ultimately his demise. His hair got caught in a tree. And as Joab finds him on the road, He strikes him down. We see in these stories that sin was left unchecked. We see in these stories that evil happened and we had nothing but emotional responses to it. Darkness grows in darkness and light is the only thing that can cast it out. John 3, 16 is a very popular verse in American culture. A few verses after that, starting in verse 19, it says this, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Do you actively work against sin in your life? Do you actively bring light into the world? Not just to be a good person, but to see the kingdom of heaven here on earth. David let darkness fester in his own house and it became more than his household could carry. Christians must actively work against sin and unrighteousness. And we see that in the gospel. Just like what Matt talked about during communion. The gospel is, is that we were sinful beings and we couldn't save ourselves and so God sent Jesus to sacrifice himself on the cross, to take our place, to take our sin on himself and to be the sacrifice. And if it, you're in this room and your gospel call was to pray a prayer and you were gonna be in heaven forever with Jesus because you repeated after the pastor, and you gave your life to Christ, I'm not gonna tell you that you're wrong. You're not wrong at all, but it might be an incomplete picture of the gospel. Because that picture of the gospel justifies you. When you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, you are justified in the eyes of God. Your sins have been paid in full. There is no more work that you have to do because there's never been any work that you could do to garner yourself enough goodness to get into heaven, but instead Jesus paid that price for us. But that justification was step one, and step two lasts a lifetime of sanctification. And sanctification in the gospel is where Jesus goes out to the shoreline and he goes to fishermen and he says, follow me. And so the fishermen who we now know as disciples follow him They learn his ways. They see how he reacts and responds to people. They see how he gives love and grace and mercy. They see how he follows God. And sanctification lasts a lifetime because from the moment that we're justified, that we've accepted Christ, that we've received salvation, we have a lifetime where we have to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. The gospel isn't just a ticket to heaven. The gospel is you were sitting dead in your sin, building your sandcastles on foundations that were never gonna serve you any more than what sin was gonna take you out on. And Jesus comes in and he says, look, I have paid the price for it and I'm inviting you out of building these sandcastles to build the kingdom of heaven, to follow me. And that's why we exist here on earth, to build the kingdom of heaven here on earth, to actively fight against evil in our world with justice and righteousness and grace and mercy and love. God's already done it for you. He's already met you where you are, just like he met Adam and Eve in the garden when they had sinned, just like he met David when he had sinned against God and sinned against his own people. God has met us where we are, here on earth by sending Jesus. Not so that we could live in sin, but that we would be freed from it and work against it. And as we see the tragedies that have occurred in our world, if you turn on the news, it's every day we get a glimpse of a sinful, fallen world that is in need of Jesus, that is in need of love, that's in need of grace, that's in need of righteousness. So let us pray this morning that we would be motivated to do kingdom work. Heavenly Father, we come. We come and ask that you would be with us and beside us, that you would motivate us, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us to build the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That you would motivate us and guide us to bring love and mercy to those around us, to actively work against sin in our world so that it does not grow and fester any longer, but instead it is brought to the light And Lord, as we saw in the story of David, he is the king of Israel. And yet, even in his own house, sin grew and destroyed. So, Lord, would it start in us? Would it start in us that we would start to fight against our own sinful nature, that we would start to fight against our own flesh? Would it start in our households where we would strive for righteousness, that we would make a goal to follow Jesus in our own living rooms? And from that foundation, would it permeate out into our neighborhoods, into our communities and into this world? Would you give us the strength? Would you give us the power to bring your grace and mercy and salvation to a world that desperately needs it. Lord, would you let us bring hope in a place that seems hopeless? Would you let us bring light in a world that seems to get dimmer every single day? You are the hope of the world. You've called us to be the light of the world, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden, so we, would we bring light into every place that we walk into. We thank you for these truths and these reminders this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website. Or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.